Welcome to the She Begins podcast. Today is a a little bit of a different episode. It is about um, my brother who passed away in 2009. And clearly that was a new beginning for me in my life. And I just been thinking about sharing it for a while and wanted to share it with you today. I hope that you find it valuable and thank you in advance for listening to his story. Hey there. So today I have decided to tell you the story of the death of my baby brother, Johnny. Um, He wasn't a baby when he died, but in my mind, he will always be the little toe-headed, blue-eyed, mischievous little boy who let me dress him up in doll clothes and never really went too far without his Alfie stuffed character toy. Do you guys remember the Alf show? That was decades ago. Okay, so I'm going to tell this story And you know damn well I probably won't make it through without crying because I cry a lot. But why am I choosing to document it here on this podcast? Um, The last few years of dealing with his passing on his anniversary death date have been really, really hard. Um, He died on September 30th, 2009. Um, And I've been trying to figure out why it wasn't this bad in years before that, in years past. Like, what has changed for me? What has changed in life to make this impact me more? So, fuck, like, a, a lot has changed in my life. Nearly everything has changed in the past five years. And reflecting on it, I have completely changed. I used to never want to talk about him. Um, when he first passed, I was encouraged to get back to normal quickly. I was told that his death was a lesson for my older brother, not my older brother, my, my younger brother to heed. And some really fucked up things were communicated to me during that time. And I think as a result, I just shoved it all down. I have to tell you guys that my cat is sensing emotion. She's right on my lap. She's been um, AWOL all day long, and now she won't get away from the microphone. I'm good, Luna. I'm good. I'm okay. All right, so back to... Um, what I wanted to share with you today. So I'm, I'm just going to, I think, just start from the beginning and go from there. So my brother's name was John Michael Merritt, and he died on September 30th, 2009. And here is the story of that day and the hellish days right after. And my hope is that you'll listen to this story and just better understand what it's like for people when they lose a family member and how you might help them through the aftermath. So normally I write out my content, try to stay on track. Um, but for this, it's, I'm just going to tell the story. So I might ramble, but I'll, I'll come back around. So to bring you back to that day, it was a kind of chilly September, cold fall morning. I was on my way to work. I was, uh, had started a new job probably about a year prior. So I was on my way to work and I got a text from my dad. It was like seven 30 in the morning and it was, it was weird. He didn't, he just, he didn't, I don't know. He, he called and didn't leave a message. And then like an hour or so later, um, he called or no, I'm sorry, he texted and said to give him a call. And so my mom had texted me in the same period of time. And I just got this kind of sickening feeling in my stomach. So I, you know, I got into work and I had to get into the car. I was carpooling with somebody else from work down to a training about an hour away. And so I get in the car and I'm kind of like, I got my phone in my hand. And so I'm like, let me just call, let me just call my dad and see what the hell is going on. Cause this is really bizarre. He lives in Montana. So he was two hours earlier than me that morning. So the fact that he's contacting me at five 30 in the morning was just weird. 
And so I, I call and he answers the phone and he just says, um, he didn't make it. And I was like, what are you, ta- what are you talking about? He didn't make it. And he said, your brother was in a car accident. He didn't make it. And I just remember taking my phone, it was a smartphone, and just throwing it at the dashboard. Um, so obviously we made our way back to um, our work site where we had started the day. And um, my ex-husband, who I was married to at the time, met me at work. And we, you know, we drove home um, trying to figure out a way to, for me to get to Montana I, at that time, we were just a young couple with a young child and we really didn't have money to buy, you know, a plane ticket at the last minute. And so talked to a, a close friend of ours and, and they offered to help without question. Um, so then I went back to work to pick up some things in a suitcase that someone had offered to let me borrow. And I got to the office and my, um, God damn, this is harder than I thought. Um, my supervisor at the time came out with an envelope of cash and it was over a thousand dollars that they had raised in just a few hours just to help me and to help the situation. Um, which is just one of the most beautiful, humane moments that I've ever had in my life. So I get to the airport and I'm, I'm on the plane and I remember sitting in between, I think it was like five seats. And I remember sitting in between, you know, two people on each side and thinking like, they have no idea that my brother just died. Like how, am I going to be able to finish this? How is that possible? And so it's a, it's quite a long airplane ride to Montana and, and finally getting there and it's late at night. This is still on September 30th. And she and my brother were at the airport and I, um, I will never, ever, ever forget the look on my mother's face when I saw her. I've never seen that kind of horror and that kind of pain. And I've never been hugged tighter in my life. Like she didn't want to let go. And she just had this look in her eyes of just horrific pain and also like a relief that I was there. And so that is when the real hell began. A lot of it was a blur. I remember sitting with my brother and um, my younger brother. He was 15 months younger than Johnny and us picking out music for his memorial. And my brother was a little, uh, not a punk, but he was into hip hop at the time. And so I remember us picking out songs that we knew that he would like and not really giving a fuck if they were proper for a service or not. Um, just nonstop crying. I remember a bowl full of peanut M&Ms my mom had on her counter and I... I really think that's the only thing I ate for days. There was just this overwhelming pit and eating anything made me want to throw up. And so over the next few days, we obviously prepared things for his memorial and put, put picture boards together and had some good laughs and cried a whole fucking lot. And so we get to the morning and it, it's um, October 5th and it's in Montana, it can snow, you know, any time, but October 5th is pretty early. And, and I was told that my brother had just been so excited for the first snowfall of the season that year. And so the fact that the first snowfall, um, and they were big fluffy white flags was on that morning. Um, October 5th is something that I'll always remember. My, my family and I still talk about it. And so we get to 
we get to the the funeral home or the the place and it is literally just packed wall to wall it's just standing room all of these young people all of my brother's friends and they all had made these t-shirts with his picture on it and they were all wearing them um there was family there that i hadn't seen in in decades and i just remember feeling like what am i actual fuck like how is this even possible and um I can remember, and I think I have to back up a little bit because I can remember, and maybe this was a couple of days before the memorial, so I'm sorry if I'm skipping around, but I just think it's important just to kind of give you the contrast of what that week was like as opposed to what, what it was like after I came back, after he died. And I, so before the memorial was even on October 5th, I remember we went to, there was, what the fuck are they called? Calling hours or some bullshit. I don't even know what they are, but it's basically where you go and you sit with um, the body, basically, and in the casket. He was later cremated, but so they had um, prepared his body, and it was in a, a room. And yeah, this wasn't during the actual public memorial, but so my dad and we were all, you know, ready to go into this room, you know, one by one. And I remember walking in, and it was a smaller room, and just seeing him laid flat in the casket. Is a horror that I will never unsee. I'll never forget. I remember just collapsing into my father's arms and just screaming. And I'm not a screamer. Um, but yeah, so that's, so we had that. We had the memorial. Um, at the memorial, um, a lot of people spoke. My dad spoke. Um, my younger brother did. God bless him. He was so fucking brave. I did as well. I wrote everything out just like I do them and think do now when things are important to me. And my letter was honestly full of regret and not staying close to him. He and I were six years apart in age and we had just kind of grown apart with me being across the country and, you know, him living his life. So my letter was just really memories of our childhood and um, just trying to share with everyone else what kind of person he was. And so Everybody goes back to my dad's house after my, my parents are divorced at this time. Um, but they, during, during the funeral and during all the preparation, really just, um, banded together and there was no drama. So we just agreed to have people go back to my dad's house and tons and tons of people, lots of people from my dad's family who he's part of a family of five children. And so a lot of people had come back and, you know, people are smiling and, and eating and talking. And I just remember getting enraged. And thinking, like, this isn't a fucking family reunion. Like, why is everybody so happy? I just, I couldn't wrap my brain around it. I just had so much rage. So after that, I, I think it was a couple of days before I was scheduled to fly back home. And Katie, my little one, had turned two on September 28th of 2009. And I had literally been gone for over a week at this point. It was the longest I'd ever been away from her and was just missing her, but was also kind of dreading going home, knowing that really no one knew him here. And I just really wasn't ready to get back to life as normal. Like I felt like I just started this whole grieving process. So flying home, um, I remember buying a book at the airport store called Breaking Open. I think it was, it was a, a little book with like a blue title and it was about, you know, getting through trauma and loss and grief. And I was like, I'm going to read the book and figure this shit out. 
Um, that book sat on my shelf for probably three years before I touched it. It was helpful later, not then. So riding the plane all the way home, just crying silently, trying to just hide it from people. Katie and her dad met me at the airport and her little hug was so tight and so sweet and the smell of her and her hair and something inside me just realized like I needed to deal with my grief on my own time that now I needed to be a mom and a wife and an employee and that was my focus and honestly so that day um, was just a huge turning point in my life. I didn't know it back then, um, but that was really the day, though, that I sensed that I was no longer going to grieve, no longer could grieve my brother's death, that I had my chance to do that in Montana, and that at this point my life needed to go on. Um, and a lot of that was, you know, being in relationship with my ex at the time and just... We're divorced for a reason, so I'll leave it at that. I can remember my ex and I going to like a movie and having, you know, trying to have like a fucking date night, maybe a, a month after I'd been back from Montana and him being frustrated and just, you know, saying to me and, you know, wondering like, when are you going to get back to normal? I'm just wondering when I'm going to get my wife back. And at that point I was enraged, but also thought like, you know, he's, he's right. I do have to get back to normal. And so there was a, a pattern that developed over the next several months. My ex worked the overnight shift. And so every night I'd put Katie to bed, I'd pour a glass of wine and put on music that made me thought of, think of my brother. And I try to write in my journal. I remember just crying and crying. Sometimes my ex would come home just to stop and get something to eat or drink. And I'd be in the chair really not moving and just crying. And he would just kind of look at me, not with disgust, but just with this like apathy of this kind of person that just couldn't seem to get through something. He was in the Marine Corps and he was really big on this concept called bearing. And it's a concept around where you just don't let your emotions show. You just remain strong and stoic. And I, in his eyes, was definitely fucking failing at that. Um, and to complicate this story a little bit more, I, I do have to say that my brother died in a car accident because he was in a police chase, a police car chase. He was um, driving a friend home that night. He had had, um, I think, maybe one or two beers, but he had smoked some marijuana. And a friend of his needed a ride home who was, I think, more intoxicated than him. And he chose to give the friend a ride home. People say my brother wasn't, you know, he wasn't... Um, unable to drive. My brother had been in trouble with law enforcement as a teenager. He wasn't a very big kid. He did a lot of stupid shit. He had some interactions with police um, where he didn't feel very safe. He didn't feel like, um, you know, there's, there's stories that my mom tells of him, you know, getting the police kind of bringing him out back somewhere and kind of roughing him up a little bit for whatever thing he had been involved in. So, in her mind, he didn't stop that night. He thought he could just outrun the police and he didn't want to stop because he was afraid. And at that time, I um, I didn't give a fuck. I just was so angry and rageful and honestly ashamed because people ask you how your brother died and to say that that's what it was, it just, um, it didn't feel like it was an honoring to him. It felt like 
how dare you? I remember like raging at him in my journal, like, how dare you fucking die like that? How dare you make that choice? Like just so much anger. And so the way that he died, especially with my ex being in law enforcement, I think just made everything really more emotionally like complicated. And I remember those months of just really, you know, talking to my mom on the phone and really not feeling like I could be there for her, not feeling like I had the energy to be there for her. I stopped speaking to my grandmother at that time for some other drama, which I wish it was just a fucking dark period of time. I wasn't really connected to my brother much anymore. My dad was avoiding the grieving. It was just a fucking mess. Um, And there was just these constant waves of grief that come out of nowhere. If you've lost somebody, you know that they will come out of nowhere. They're like waves. I remember seeing like men or little boys that looked like my brother and just fucking losing it, just crying and, you know, just being so full of resentful at people for having their whole family still intact and them taking it for granted. The holidays that year were fucking brutal. Thanksgiving, Christmas, um, I, I can't even tell you what it's like to spend those first holidays without somebody that's been in your life since you were a child. Um, even, you know, so much of that is just a blur. I remember, you know, the, the, his birthday was on St. Patrick's Day. So that is always another really rough day because it's a day out here where people like to party and it's a celebration. And it was just a day for me that was like just a, a, a bitter reminder to me that he would never get to do that again. My brother was definitely a kid that liked to have fun and, and party and he enjoyed his birthday. He celebrated it for an entire month each year, little brat. Um, but that was just another day. So there was all these reminders throughout the whole year up until the first anniversary where it was just really, really hard. Um, I, I think every year after that first anniversary, when I was still married, my ex would get really tired of any hard moments I had during that time. Um, he would pretend to be supportive, but um, that look of like disgust and disdain on his face you really can't disguise that. And so I learned to cry and to grieve in private as much as possible. Um, and that honestly would become a theme as the marriage went on, especially after the infidelities came out. All of that's in an earlier podcast. I think it's one of my first ones back in season one. But so I've been divorced for five years. Um, and the last two years, honestly, the grief for my brother has been really surprisingly overwhelming. Um, I've just felt heartbroken and exhausted around that time. And it wasn't any different this year. If anything, it was even more heightened. And in thinking about that, I think I've just gotten to a place now where I am letting myself have the grief come. I'm supporting myself through it. I'm allowing my body and my heart to just slow down and feel and not have to be or do anything to anyone during that time. Honest with Katie about why I'm crying and why I'm upset so she doesn't worry. Um, a really beautiful thing happened this year. Uh, my partner who is, we, you know, we met several months ago and I'm just insanely happy um, that he took the time to ask me questions that night about Johnny and not just about how he died, but about my favorite memories of him, like how I would describe him. I'm like laughing and crying, thinking about it now, just what he was like. And God, that felt really good. I remember like telling him to like, hold on, I'm going to go pull out pictures. And I sent him some pictures of him as a kid. And it just felt good to laugh and have someone laugh with me and having someone gen genuinely want to know who he was and who he was to me. 
um, it's always going to be a void. You never, ever get over the death of a loved one. Um, you'd really just learn to live around it. So this is take 27, I think. Fuck. So not that you ask, but if you want to know how you can be there for someone when they're grieving, here you go. Not that these are revolutionary or all encompassing. They're just, I think they're worth being said. And so I'll just go through them. I kind of made a list. One, just sit with them and let them cry. You don't have to talk. Two, don't try to explain that they're in a better place, that they had a good life, no matter how old they were, that they wouldn't want you to be sad. Number three, ask about them. Don't be afraid to ask positive questions. That's the part about grief that people don't realize. We are grieving a person's life. They lived. That's the person we miss. Let us describe them to you. Four, listen deeply. If you can't be If you can't listen without being distracted, it's okay. Just don't try. It's so much worse when you pretend to be there for someone, but we know and we can sense that you're not. Five, allow the silence. Allow yourself to feel uncomfortable in the silence. In the silence, the person is thinking and processing and remembering and it's chaotic in there. Let them have the silence. They might be able to share even more with you. Six, just check on them. Send them a text or a voicemail, something. Seven, do not say, let me know if you need anything. We will never, ever ask you. Trust me. Eight, offer to take their child or their children for a couple of hours. It's more exhausting trying to parent while grieving. And we very rarely ask for help because we feel guilty. So just taking our kiddos for a little bit is a huge break and a huge help think this is number nine yep number nine ask them about their loved one that died on holidays ask them to share a memory that they have of that person on that day we're thinking about them anyway and we're missing them and it really helps if we can share a story about them with somebody who really cares and 10 don't talk about the deaths that you've gone through don't talk about yourself don't talk about anybody else Just let them be about them. They need that so much right now. And it takes so much courage for them to really open up and feel like they're not being too much and feel like they can accept the comfort that you are trying to give them. So this is an honor of my baby brother. Fuck, and I'm just remembering like I launched my podcast really close to the time of his his birthday last year. And it obviously hasn't been a year yet, but... I remember making a video announcing it and thinking like that would be the perfect day to launch it was on St. Patrick's Day. So this is for him. I think he's up there cheering for me and laughing at me a little bit for crying. Not really, but thank you for listening. Um, And just check in with people. If you've lost someone that you love, and I feel like almost everybody has at this point and at my age, I'm sorry. And I'm here if you want to talk. Thank you guys for listening and I will talk to you next time. Bye. Okay. Thank you for listening. 
I am looking forward to talking to you next time. I do have many more interviews coming up with some really incredible women, so I'll be sharing those with you in the following weeks. And in case you didn't know from listening to my other podcasts, I have started a really fucking cool online community called She Rises. It's for women that have gone through just a whole bunch of shit and wanting to be there for each other. That link is in the show notes. It's she rises community. It's got a she rises community.co, not uh, com. Again, she rises community.co. It's where you can find more information out about that. And again, I just want to thank you for listening. This was a hard episode for me to share, but I'm actually fucking proud of myself that I did it. And I'm hoping that it it did him justice. I just wish all of you a very good day and I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.